Hello, this is Letty Medina, and we're back for our second show on Fullness of Life on 88.5 FM, WSFI Catholic Radio. Some of you may be listening online at wsfiradio.org. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to sit back and get ready for a very powerful pro-life witness over the next hour. The Catholic Church has designated October as Respect Life Month. I thought it was a perfect time to invite two very dear friends of mine, Joan and Paul Spheros, who have a powerful story to share. They lived through and prayed through a very challenging pregnancy, but God revealed his love and power through their faithfulness to the church's teaching about the dignity of all human life. Welcome, Joan and Paul. Letty, thanks for having Joan and I uh, join you today. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to share our, our personal witness, and um, we, we certainly believe in the power of Catholic radio as a tool for evangelization, and, and also appreciate the opportunity just to highlight how God and, and his mother were so clearly with us through a really very difficult time in our married life. Awesome. Well, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that you guys were not like big pro-life leaders when you faced this challenging pregnancy, because I, I really want the listeners to understand how God's grace is what got you through this. It wasn't on your own power on, on this, you know, um, you know, strong uh, role already in the, the movement. Uh, and I even think of it similar to David and Goliath, how David was this young guy who had no armor and he had a slingshot. And God helped him to overcome a giant because he gave him what he need when he needed it. And that's kind of the way I see how, how you two dealt with this very challenging situation. You know, yeah. First of all, Letty, thank you for having us here and letting us share our witness today. But you're right about that, Letty. You know, Paul and I, our story began way back in April of 2007. You know, we were just ordinary people. We, we were a typical Catholic family. We went to church on Sundays. We had three little boys at home, and our life was just a busy one. We were busy raising our boys at that time. Uh, we weren't thinking that much about our faith. You know, Paul is actually a convert to, to the Catholic faith. He went through our CIA when our oldest son, after he was born. And really, the most I had done is I'd been part of a rosary group that Letty was in Letty's house. You probably heard her if you heard her last month. She was talking about that story about a rosary group she started. And at this point, I had been with her praying probably about three years. That had really helped me grow in my faith, but I still had a lot to learn. And that's where our story started. So I found myself pregnant. It was our fourth child. Again, it was 2007. And I was really happy for this pregnancy. I had I had suffered a miscarriage the year before. And, you know, I was 39 years old, so they call that advanced maternal age. And, I, and at that point, they, they recommended some prenatal testing for me. I was 14 weeks along, so I had kind of put off doing that prenatal testing, but in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, well, you know, maybe I can find out if this is a boy or a girl, because secretly I'd kind of hoped that this would be my girl. For sure. And to be honest, I was 39 years old. This might have been my last pregnancy and really my last chance to have that girl. And I was a little afraid that finding out later in the pregnancy, I might be a little disappointed if it was going to be another boy. So I went ahead and I made that appointment for the prenatal testing. But what I didn't know was that that was going to change our lives forever. So Paul was with me, and we went ahead to the ultrasound together. And I can still remember the room. I can remember the details of the room where I had that ultrasound. And the tech came in, and she was chatting away with us, and we were all joking around. And, you know, Paul and I had been through this many times before, so we were pretty relaxed. And I had worked as a physician assistant in women's health in the past at an OBGYN office, so I could read the basics of an ultrasound. So the tech was sharing with us, you know, what she saw on the screen and kind of making little comments. But I soon noticed that the tech had stopped talking. 
And so I turned and I looked at the screen and pretty soon I saw what she saw and I stopped talking. And Paul was kind of oblivious to this. He didn't understand. So he kept talking. And finally, the tech stopped Paul and she said, I'm seeing some things of concern on our ultrasound. And she wanted to go ahead and bring in the perinatologist to have a closer look. Yeah, that, was a, that was a moment of just uh, just a weird dose of reality. Yep. Uh, you know, we just had expectations that were totally different. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it was, it was quiet in that room, as you can imagine. Neither Paul nor I were saying a word. And so the perinatologist came in at that point, and he confirmed that he saw problems, too, on the ultrasound. And he told us that our baby was showing signs of a pretty significant chromosomal abnormality. And he turned to both of us and he looked at us and he said that we needed to be ready to talk about our options, but because I was so far along that we didn't have much time to consider those options. So I have to ask, when, when you heard him say options, did you know what he was talking about? You know, really, to be honest, I was in shock at that point. And it really did take me a minute or two to understand what he was talking about. And then it hit my brain. I realized he was talking about aborting our child. And I, I instantly spoke up. I got very bold at that point, And I told him, you know, I'm Catholic and I, I oppose abortion and that I, I don't want to hear that option and that I was going to be carrying this baby as long as God would allow. And I just want to jump in here and emphasize very quickly that, you know, Joan tends to be a bit more of a reserved person, a little more on the quiet side. But her bold opposition, you know, to me was clearly God's grace in that moment. You know, it really was, Letty. And I just want to share with the listeners that it really is only by the grace of God that I was so convicted in my pro-life stance at that point in my life. I wasn't always that well-formed in my convictions. And I do know that if the situation had come at, at a different point in my life, that I could very easily have made another choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the perinatologist, he was really gracious. He didn't pressure me. Um, but he did tell me that day that my baby, our baby, had evidence of something called fetal hydrops. And fetal hydrops is, is very severe. It means the baby's in distress. So he told me that day with almost 100% certainty that our baby was going to die and probably wouldn't make it to birth. And he also advised me that the further along I got in this pregnancy, the harder it was going to get to be on me to to give birth to a stillborn baby. You know, that was devastating news. So at that point, they scheduled us, told us to come back in a few weeks for another ultrasound. But they warned me to prepare myself for the possibility that our child wouldn't be alive at that point. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, my head was just spinning with this information. But as I was heading towards the door, I heard somebody calling my name. And I stopped and I turned around. And there was the ultrasound tech calling my name. And she told me, Mrs. Spheris, I never had a chance to tell you, but this baby is another boy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that thought that only hours before here I thought was going to be disappointing news, as you can imagine, it was now pretty humbling, and a boy or a girl, it no longer mattered. Yeah. That would have been very humbling news after hearing your precious child had such serious physical defects. An important lesson about what's really important, right? Well, at this point, I'd like to ask Paul. So, Paul, how did, how did you respond to this devastating news? I, I'm sure it must have been really hard for you to see Joan suffering after hearing such hard news about the baby inside of her womb. For sure. Yeah, we were both in, in shock, and, and we just didn't really know what to do. So just our natural inclination, you know, after our world being turned upside down, so to speak, was to go pray. And yeah. so that was, you know, despite it was a negative situation, it was it was also a cool moment because, you know, when you're a couple and you got to go through something like this, it's it's, it's always a good idea to turn to God in our yeah. experience. And so that's what we did. We went, there's a national shrine uh, nearby where we live called Marytown. And uh, they have 24-hour adoration there. And so we went there and we 
prayed in front of the, the blessed sacrament and and found some peace. Yeah. Marytown obviously has been such an important place, a haven for all of us. I've seen you both there many times, and it's been such a, a grace to live so close to it. So, Joan, what, what was your prayer that day in front of the Lord? Yeah, you know, I don't know if at first I could really even formulate a prayer because what was going through my head, it was just shock. It was a lot of disbelief. I was really scared. And so I think it was more of a begging of God and, and kind of a little reckoning with God. Yeah. I had some things to tell him. You know, <laughs> I told him that I, I really, I just said, God, you have the wrong person. Yeah. I am not that bold. I'm not that brave. And I couldn't imagine myself being strong enough to either. I mean, there were two options, either the death of my child or to raise a child with a disability. And neither one sounded good to me. So, you know, I just sat there with a lot of tears and just being in front of the Lord and just pouring out my heart to him about everything I was feeling in that moment. Yeah. You know, and finally, I just came to terms with it. And I told God right then and there that, all right, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're taking me in the right situation. And you're asking this of me. But I did ask for him. I begged God to please just at least let me meet my son. That was my one wish. Yeah. And so, you know, as soon as I got home, I need, I knew I needed to continue that prayer. I needed that. I needed everybody to just cover me in prayer. So I, so I began to call everybody I knew that was faithful and asked for them to pray both for Paul and I and for this child and just to let God begin to work in our situation. Yeah, I remember that sobering phone call. It was a very sad phone call to receive. I know. And Letty, you were probably the first one I called. Yeah, it was it was hard. But we, you know, there was a whole group of us, obviously, who felt called to storm heaven on behalf of you, Paul, and your baby. So the, so the next step was that you had to go back for repeat ultrasound. So what happened then? Yeah, you know, we returned a couple weeks later to the same office. It was the same doctor, too, um, that had seen us the week before, a couple weeks before. And when I returned, I really fully expected to hear that news that your child has died but instead, it was interesting because, I, again, I was watching the perinatologist, you know, after that last experience and his expressions, and he just kind of kept shaking his head in disbelief as he's doing the ultrasound. So I asked him, so has the baby died? And he said, no. He said, in fact, I no longer see any of the signs of the fetal high drops that had threatened your son's life a few weeks before. Wow. And so the doctor just continued to shake his head. And I heard him kind of muttering to himself a little bit. And he, he said, you know, I've never seen a baby recover from what I saw on your last <laughs> ultrasound. And in my newfound boldness, I just blurted out very quickly that I certainly knew the answer. And it was the power of prayer. Amen. <laughs> I love that. And I, again, I remember very distinctly standing on your front porch when you came home from that, from that exam. And we were both just kind of joyful and hopeful with that turn of events because it, it couldn't be explained by human terms. And I really think that was the first sliver of light within that, that moment and in the pregnancy where you could see God's grace just starting to come in. For sure, for sure. Paul, can you share a little bit more about like the genetic abnormality that they uh, told you about? Sure. Um, so the diagnosis was for a, a trisomy 18. So just it's an extra chromosome and it just brings forth a, a series of complications and the, these babies don't survive. They, very rarely do they survive. Right. So not a good prognosis for, for our, our son. Hard news. Um, but, you know, we just still felt a ray of hope. And just even hearing the doctor share with us that he'd never seen a recovery like this before, we just knew in our hearts that he had our backs. Exactly. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. So a, a big part of this journey, Joan, was your kind of learning a little bit more about prenatal testing and its connection kind of to just that pro-choice mentality. You know, absolutely. And when I look back on this experience, I re realized that I didn't really think through why I was having that prenatal testing or why I would go ahead and do that. 
because you know, the main purposes of prenatal testing is really to diagnose these babies early on in the pregnancy so that there's still time to choose abortion before the second trimester. And when you read estimates, it's about 70% of women that choose prenatal testing. And I can tell you from experience that the knowledge that comes from that obviously is extremely overwhelming. So yeah. here you are, you're told this something like what we were heard, and now you have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And that's scary. So parents are pushed to make quick decisions about the life or death of their child, and they're reacting out of the fear of the unknown or what the future may bring. You know, this is overwhelming pressure from your doctors, from other people to abort this child. And most terminations are occurring within 72 hours of the woman receiving the news of the abnormality. Yeah. This is not enough time to process. There's not enough time to become more informed about what it might mean to parent a child with a disability or to become more informed about just what it means to carry through with the pregnancy. And what really scares me the most is that what di there is no diagnosis that that is 100% accurate. Right. We've all heard stories about people who were told that there was something wrong with their babies to go on to deliver a very normal and healthy child. Yeah, Joan, actually this just happened to me literally at lunch today. I, I met a colleague and he was sharing that his daughter, they had found some things in in her brain. And as it turned out, she was born as a normal, healthy, How beautiful. Happy baby. So right. yep. it's never 100%. We, we have to put our trust in God. We really do. Know? And abortion, it's irreversible. Yep. Irreversible. And even if the child is expected to die by intentionally ending a child's life, you're only adding to the parent's grief. And so, you know, in a disabled child, they have the potential for a very happy life. Well, I, I definitely want to affirm that statement. Right. So I have a twin brother, as you know, who has some very severe disabilities. He was born with cerebral palsy and he has a beautiful life. And he always says, I love my life. And, and the reality is that, you know, people with disabilities are still made in the image and likeness of God. And we need to support parents in these critical moments. We need to give them courage and comfort mm -hmm. and love and compassion and help them to really think through what what is in front of them, Indeed that this is do. a child. Yes. Okay, so it must have still been really hard, Joan, to continue this pregnancy not knowing whether your son was going to live or oh, die. Oh, yeah. It was really difficult. You know, initially you're in shock, but that shock wears off, and then reality hits home, and you have to live that reality. So, you know, we didn't have everybody supporting our decision to continue this pregnancy. We even had very close family members and very close friends who felt that we were a little bit cruel to let our child live if he mm. was going to suffer. And some people question why they would say, why would you want to sacrifice your life to raise a disabled child? So, you know, you have all these opinions coming at you. You have this diagnosis. You don't know what's coming the next day. And some days it took all the courage I had just to put my feet on the floor and get I out bet. of bed in the morning. You know, and, and I put on a brave face for everybody, for my three little boys, for family and friends. And yeah. when I was out there in the public, I certainly put on a brave face and kind of acted like everything was okay. Yes, you did. But, you know, behind the scenes, I was praying for strength. So... What became my consolation was my rosary. I would rest those beads on my growing belly, and I would beg Blessed Mother to give me strength, to keep me from falling into despair. And I used to just sit with her and just think about how she had endured watching her son suffer the passion. I really did. I just sat with her in that moment, and she gave me the strength to know that I, too, could make a sacrifice for my own son. So on those days where I really just kind of let it, I got overwhelmed, I, you know, my I would sit and I would turn on the shower and I would just kind of crumple onto the bathroom floor and I would just cry until no more tears would come. But, you know, those tears, they weren't for me. I mean, I knew I could get through all of this. I'm, I'm pretty strong. But the tears were, were for a son I just would never know and a child that I wouldn't get to see grow up. That's a tremendous burden on a mother's heart. Tremendous burden. Yeah. Um, but, you know, God's good. God is good. So when I was reaching these points of despair or just feeling a little bit of discouragement, he always put somebody in my path. 
because God was walking with me. Yes. Letty, you would call me up and you'd say, let's go to Marytown and pray. And I yep. would grab my rosary beads and out the door we'd go. Yep. My sister Anne, she was so great. She would send me little cards, little gifts. She always, I don't know how, but somehow it's a sister's intuition. She knew when I needed that call of encouragement. So many people stepping up, so many that brought us tremendous comfort and that sustained both Paul and I. Yeah. For sure. That made so much difference. I mean, the prayers and the support. Um, right. People that you just had different types of conversations with people when you're yeah. in the situation and you just see their goodness become more evident and, and God's grace. And that's just such a gift. Well, that is a gift to be able to watch that. Well, the journey you walked can only be understood by other women who have had kind of a similar situation to walk through. There were some days that you really felt you couldn't go on, weren't there? Yes, definitely. And by the end of my second trimester, it began to be very obvious that I was pregnant. So I'd be out and about in public or I'd be in my kid's school and people would start asking me lots of questions about the pregnancy, you know, innocent questions because they didn't know what was going on. But that, of course, would cause hurt inside because I had to pretend everything was normal. But I think the more difficult thing was on the opposite side where people who knew about my situation and felt so awkward around me that they didn't know what to say yeah. and they began to avoid me. And so I started to isolate myself. And this was around the same time mm-hmm. that Paul and I made that decision to take our crib down and our changing table and all the baby mm-hmm. things because... It was so, I was just too hard for me to walk past that room and think my baby would never use these things. So he put it into storage and that broke my heart and I was beginning to feel hopeless. Yeah, I can only imagine, Joan. And that would have been such a heartbreaking decision to take that crib down. I mean, these are, there are so many difficult moments that you guys had to kind of maneuver around um, as you endured this very challenging pregnancy. Well, uh, it's time for a commercial break. So Please stay tuned. There's much, much more to this beautiful story. This is Letty Medina. It is Fullness of Life on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Please come back right after this commercial break. Welcome back to Fullness of Life. I'm your host, Letty Medina. If you're just tuning in, I've been talking with my good friends, Joan and Paul Spheris, who have been sharing their personal witness about how they faced the news early in the second trimester of their fourth pregnancy that their son had a genetic abnormality and the pressures they faced to consider abortion, as well as some of the other challenges they had to deal with. And although it's a difficult topic, one of the favorite parts of their story for me is that God made his graces very, very evident with many miraculous signs throughout their journey. So Joan, would you do us the favor of sharing that beautiful story about St. Therese? Yes, and that is a good one. So I'm happy to share that that part of my journey. As many people who know me, that one of my favorite saints is St. Therese of Lisieux, and many of you know that her as the little flower. And so, you know, I'd been sharing that I had started to, by the second, my second trimester, I was just starting to get really discouraged and feeling very down about everything that was happening. So I decided to start a novena to her and ask for her intercession to help give me more hope again. And I just wanted hope that God was in this situation. You know, I knew I could do anything as long as God was walking with me. So I asked St. Therese to send me pink roses as a sign of hope. I was very specific. Very. I, I grow roses. I love them, and I love pink roses. So I didn't tell anyone, not even Paul. 
that I was <laughs> praying this novena. It needed to be something just between me and God. Yeah. So about four days later, there was a knock on my door, and I opened my door, and there was one of my dearest friends and neighbors who was holding a huge bouquet <laughs> of pink roses. I love it. And she had no idea I'd been praying for this. So she quickly told me the story about how she'd been at the store grocery shopping that morning, and she said she walked past the roses, and she saw they were on sale. And as she's walking the aisles down at, you know, at the local Jewel, all she could think about was me. She said it was the craziest thing. It just kept popping up and popping up in her mind. So she she went back. She bought me the roses, and she thought she'd just bring them over to cheer me up a little bit. Well, at that point, I just burst into tears. I just absolutely <laughs> lost it and burst into tears. And the poor thing, she thought she had just made me feel so sad or something. So Aww. through my sobs, I'm trying to tell her about this novena <laughs> and how I'd asked Saint Therese to send me the pink roses, you know, <laughs> going on and on. Now she's crying. We're both crying. Finally, we settle down, and she says, wait a minute, I have something else for you. Here, why don't you open this? So I take this gift bag she gives me, and I pull out of the gift bag this carved wood sign that says hope. Oh I'm not goodness. kidding you. It was a carved wood sign that said hope. And this time I started to laugh more hysterically. I mean, we're up and down. And I told her how I had asked God for a sign of hope. What I didn't think was that God would take me so literally. So I decided that God has a great sense of humor, and he was really showing off for well, me that day. I am with you, sister, because, I mean, that is just, that is so hilarious. And he does have a great sense of humor. I know he is up there sometimes laughing with joy at these moments where he fills us with such joy at, at revealing his presence. He really does. And, you know, at that moment, that's exactly what I needed. It was a little bit of that levity and God saying, okay, Joan, I'm here. I'm with you. Exactly. My joy is still here. I have exactly. not left to your side. So beautiful. So powerful. So how did that answer to prayer really get you to the next phase? It really did. You know, after that, my spirits rose and I, I didn't find myself really falling into despair as easily as before. And I started bonding with this baby. You know, just because he had medical issues, it doesn't mean that it stopped me from loving him so right. fiercely, just like all my other pregnancies and my other boys. You know, my prayers continued to be the opportunity to meet him. Yeah. I still ask God for that every day, but I treasured every kick. And I and I prayed for a healing and a miracle, but I recognized that, you know, maybe the miracle was that this beautiful child of mine was such a fighter and he was still alive. Yes. And God allowed so many people to be called to holiness by praying for us and ministering to us. So maybe the miracle was that this little little child of mine was changing hearts. Yeah. He was calling others to holiness. So many beautiful signs and wonders in this story. Can you share another story uh, about uh, the name of John Paul? Yeah, we got the name. And this is cute because one night uh, Liddy had asked me to go pray because I probably needed, I needed lots of prayers during that time. And she and I had been praying over at Marytown. And I was really excited afterwards to share with her the name that we had picked out. And actually, Paul had picked the name. He knew that I had such a deep love and devotion to, to Pope John Paul II, who was such a strong proponent for life. So Paul thought we should name our son after him. So I told Letty this, and I remember looking at Letty, and she had just, just this huge smile on her face. And Letty, you'll have to share why. Yeah, well, so that same night, I had gone to Marytown with Joan to pray, and I was kind of talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you know, I, I really want a special saint to walk with me, you know, and yet I've never really figured out who that saint is. And that night, it hit me like a ton of bricks that it was John Paul II. And so I could not wait to share that with you. And then when you burst out with your news <laughs> that you had named your son after him, it was like a double confirmation for us. Yeah. And it was it was just a joyful moment. It was a joyful moment. And it just made it right that our son should be named after the soon-to-be great and powerful saint. Exactly. And Letty, do you remember shortly after that, you had given me a rosary yes. that had been blessed by St. John Paul II to use during my pregnancy. Yes. And I can't even tell you, I don't think I could count the endless rosaries that were set over my belly with that particular rosary. So I'm sure Blessed Mother was right there praying with me and protecting both me and John Paul. No doubt about it. 
Such a beautiful story. And God clearly provided so many extra graces for both of you to endure this cross. Okay, so now I'd like to hear a little bit about how you prepared for the birth of your special son. Yeah, you know, once fall came in full swing, I knew that we were getting closer to the time of John Paul's birth, and it it was a third trimester, and we needed to begin making some decisions. I'd had at least six or seven ultrasounds during the pregnancy, endless endless, um, doctor's appointments, and unfortunately, each of them continued to show that he had severe problems. So my doctor sent us to the nurse educator at the hospital who would assist Paul and I with writing up a birthing plan before the delivery, and this was a really important thing for us to do because I knew that not everybody there was going to support us in our decision to give birth to this baby. And I wanted it in my chart that we felt this was a blessing and that everybody that was ministering to us that day and helping us needed to understand that. So that was really helpful to do that. What a, what a wonderful thing that you were able to kind of seek that out specifically, that kind of support and make it clear to them what your needs were. So in, in addition to preparing for his birth, unfortunately, you also had to prepare for the worst outcome, which is his possible death. Right. That must have been a really heavy part of the cross. It was a really heavy part of the cross. So, you know, everything was finally set up at the hospital for his birth. But now, like you said, we had to prepare for the possibility of his death. And I did continue to pray for his healing, but I also knew in the depth of my heart that I had to be willing to let go of my son. That's what God was allowing and calling me to. So, you know, at the time, I was just so focused on giving him life and a chance at life that I could not prepare myself to, you know, to make any preparations for his death. So, Paul, he was really my rock. You know, he protected me. He comforted me. He stood by me through this whole pregnancy. And he understood that planning a funeral was something that there's just no way that I could do it. So he took over and he called the funeral homes and prepared for what we needed to do if he didn't survive. And, you know, at that point, I was packing my bag for the hospital, and I had two outfits for John Paul. One was an outfit I would put on him to bring him home, and the other was a gown that we would use to bury him Mm. in. And as I was packing those two outfits, I prayed a prayer to God to give me strength for whichever outfit I had to use. Such a hard moment. It was a really hard moment. And so one week later, on a Saturday night, on October 6, 2007, my water broke. I was almost 35 weeks along, so we called our parents to come, and I called a neighbor to come and watch our boys, and my last phone call was to you, Letty. And I do remember that again. I remember it very distinctly, and I remember calling a lot of other people, so we began to pray that night. I remember kind of setting up, you know, candle and and just really sitting in front of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart and just storming heaven for you guys. Right. Wow. Well, I know that you were hoping to deliver him naturally, but were you prepared to also have a C-section if necessary? Yeah, you know, honestly, I wasn't sure at that point if if John Paul would survive a natural birth. And that night, and God kind of took care of that decision for me because that night the ultrasound showed that he was sideways. He had a nice strong heartbeat, but he was sideways. Yeah. So they made the decision at that point to let me labor overnight, and they said if he didn't turn by the morning, then they would go ahead and prepare me for a cesarean section. And early the next morning he hadn't turned. So they prepped me for the C-section and told me it was time. And I got to tell you, my heart was absolutely beating out of my chest, not knowing what was going to happen, you know, that morning. But I did know that soon I was going to meet my son. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like so much anticipation, but uh, there had to be a little bit of anxiety too, right? There really, it it was, absolutely. Because you're you're preparing for this moment, the entire birth, you know, the entire pregnancy towards the birth, and you you have no idea which direction it's going to take. And him being sideways was was a God moment. It really was a blessing because I'm not sure 
you know, what would have happened if it was a natural birth. Yeah, for sure. But in the moment, it was also just, she had never experienced a C-section, so there's just this one added element of complexity right. in her situation where she's having major surgery, yep. and it's like, oh, wow, after everything Joan had been through, it was tough for me to watch. As, oh, I'm sure. As her husband, it's like, wow, okay, so this is how it's going to go. All yep. right. Yep. We're not we in control, go. though. Yeah. We're not in control, right? No. Yeah. Well, I, re I remember you guys made plans to have a deacon present to baptize him if he was born alive. Yeah, that was part of our birthing plan. We had arranged for the hospital chaplain, and he happened to just be a Catholic deacon. He was just such a wonderful help to us and such a blessing to that day. He was a, yet another person God put in our path. Yeah. So Paul's parents and my parents and our three boys, before I was taken back to the OR, they surrounded my bed that morning, and the deacon led us in prayer together. Mm. And I have to tell you that those prayers worked because I began to feel an immense sense of peace and prayers calm. always work <laughs> they do and if you look at pictures of me that morning because we had pictures taken i just look at peace and it's hard to believe that i could be peaceful yeah. in that moment it's true john yeah. was amazing mm -hmm. and blessed <laughs> blessed and very blessed lots of graces moment. lots of graces but yeah. i was so proud of joan after everything and yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, they wheeled me back to the OR and they began. Um, Paul and the deacon were in the operating room, but our family was waiting right outside the door because we knew we might not have a lot of time. And so I, I you know, just starting to talk about that moment, I can remember everything about that delivery room that day, even to this day. I remember how quiet it was. And I can just remember the quiet talk going on and the little chatter in the background between the doctors and the nurses that were working on me and the little beeping of the monitors that day. And I was in, in a lot of shock, not knowing what was going to happen the next few minutes, but there was just this quiet sense of peace, peace and holiness in the room. Oh, sounds, sounds amazing. And then Paul said the words that you had prayed to hear. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because, you know, we were, were praying for him to be alive. So they, you know, he was born alive so that's what I shouted he's alive um, wow yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and I was on the, it was on the table and I turned my head and there he was there was my precious little boy wrapped yeah. in a blanket his little legs were kicking away at that blanket and he turned I turned to him and there were his eyes so they were open and they were looking at me and I got to meet my son <laughs> God is faithful God he's is really faithful. good and, you know, he, he wasn't crying at that point, but he was completely at peace. And so Paul brought him over to me, and he, he put his little face up to mine, and I got to whisper that I loved him, and I kissed him. Yeah, and I took him over really quickly to be sure that he uh, received his baptism, and the deacon uh, performed the baptism you know, for us. Yeah, and unfortunately, I couldn't see the baptism, but I have to tell you how happy I was, how, how <laughs> my heart was so happy that he was born alive and he was able to receive that sacrament. You know, and then they unstrapped my arms for me because I wanted to touch my son. Yeah. So Paul brought him back over to me so I could touch him. And his skin was so warm. He was so soft. And I looked into his beautiful eyes again, you know, and then I whispered into his ear how much I loved him, how proud I was to be his mom. And the hardest part was that I told him that if he saw the angels there waiting it was for him, that it was okay for him to leave me and to go to heaven. Yeah. And I made a promise to him that I would see him soon. And then I asked Paul to take him out so that he could meet our family. Wow. Joan was amazing and brave. So yeah, our, our parents and boys uh, had a few minutes to meet him, so I, I brought him out in my arms, and you know, they we just had a moment there with our family, yeah. which was certainly very moving and emotional, as you can imagine. And then I brought him back to the delivery room, because Joan was still in there after um, the C-section, and uh, his eyes were you know, starting to close, and 
we just spent those last few more minutes with him. And then at, you know, about 35 minutes after his birth, he uh, died peacefully in my arms. And I just held him until Joan was finished with surgery. And then I laid him on Joan's chest for her to be able just to hold him. And, and I went to tell our family that uh, he had passed away. Yeah. Yeah, you know, God had honored my wish to see my son alive and to meet him. And I believe that God was faithful to you because you were so faithful to him, right? Like when we're faithful to him and following him and his ways, he is so faithful. He, he isn't ever going to disappoint us. He's going to exceed our expectations. And that's what I see that he did in this instance. Can, can you share what else the deacon did to support your family after this moment? Yeah, the day was a Sunday, so the deacon came in, and we had a communion service with our entire family in the room that I was recovering in, and it was beautiful because we read the readings for that day, and everybody got to receive communion, and I still had John Paul in my arms. I wanted to spend some time with him, and the deacon came over, and he placed a small piece of the Eucharistic Lord right on his tongue. How beautiful. And he gave a blessing to some little baby rings that we had, and he gave one to each set of each of our parents, to the grandparents, and one to Paul and I, and then finally he took that last little blessed ring and put it on John Paul's finger. And we had other family members that came by to comfort us, and my family stayed for a little while, but then it was time for them to go. Yeah, and you know, what, what I hear you describing, both of you, is just, incredible beauty and holiness and life right even though there was a death there was life it, it and it's hard to explain to people because it really is a complex situation exactly but that's why i said i just described the morning as peace and holiness it was and that's what you see in us and what people saw when they came in and they couldn't believe it but that's really what the palpable presence of christ was that day you could feel yes. him there so beautiful so saying goodbye to him must have been extremely hard, though. It was extremely hard, but extremely beautiful. My sister-in-law, Chris, you know, she stayed after with after the other family members left. She stayed. She's a, a professional photographer, a children's photographer, and she's volunteered with charities in the past. And they take pictures of those terminal children or stillborn babies. And I know these pictures, it might sound kind of strange to some people, but those pictures are precious mementos to the parents of those children, including me. So after she had finished taking the photos, I, I tried to give John Paul as many kisses as I could to last until I would see him again in heaven. And after a while, it was time. The nurses came to take him from us. And, you know, that was a really extremely difficult moment. Yeah. You know, and all those people who ministered to us that day, particularly in that moment of grief, having to say goodbye, they really were truly the hands and feet of Christ. Yeah. There was still one more miracle that day, though that was yet to be discovered. Um, Paul, can you? Yeah, so that evening I just began calling people just to let them know what had happened because people were concerned and they wanted to, to know. And uh, I handed Joan the phone. That was her friend, Lisa, who had given her the pink roses. Yeah, she had called um, that day to give her condolences and to see how I was doing. And it was really nice. It was nice to actually, after that really difficult time of letting him go, to be able to just talk to a friend and have a conversation. So that's what she was doing. And as we were talking, she mentioned how beautiful it was that John Paul was born that day. And I didn't know what she was talking about. So I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, Joan, don't you know what today is? She said, today is Respect Life Sunday. And she said, and on top of that, it's also the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Now, I hadn't cried much that day because, again, I was in shock most of the day, but the tears began to flow. <laughs> they really did. I, she just likes to make me sob. This is the same friend who brought me the roses. 
And so God, you know, God could have picked any day to bring my son into this world. And he honored our openness to life by choosing Respect Life Sunday. And he also (laughs) let me know that he had heard every one of those roses I had prayed by choosing the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. (laughs) So God is good and God is faithful. And he never left my side during this entire journey. You know, and when I re- and then another beautiful part of that was that when I received the pictures my sister-in-law took that day of John Paul, there was a beautiful one of him with the rosary that Letty had given me in front of him. And this was a silver rosary, but in that picture, it was glowing a bright gold. And my sister-in-law said she only used natural light. There were no flashes. So I took that as a sign. Blessed Mother was with me during this pregnancy and that perhaps she was the one in the delivery room waiting to take John Paul home. Oh, I love that. And, you know, to me, again, the the... The fact that he was born on that day, on that day, right? It was like the Lord put His stamp on it, and the Blessed Mother put her stamp on it, and they wanted to make sure that everybody who heard that knew that they were all over this walk with you. Absolutely, that and they there, were directing. And it. there are no coincidences with none, God. None there at all. None. He, and I truly believe that was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful consolation. Oh, what a gift! What a gift! Mm-hmm. Well, it is time for another commercial break. But please don't go away because there is even more to this beautiful story. And there's just a a, a beautiful icing on the top of the cake. So um, this is Letty Medina on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, host of Fullness of Life. Please come back after this commercial break. Fullness of Life. I'm your host, Letty Medina. If you're just tuning in, I've been talking with my good friends, Joan and Paul Spiros, who have been sharing their personal witness about the short life and holy death of their son, John Paul, who is diagnosed in utero with trisomy 18. And despite this genetic defect, his life was precious and had such beautiful dignity. So from the beginning to the end, John Paul's life was marked by numerous miracles and many angels or people who showed you and your family love and support throughout this difficult journey. Now it was time to lay him to rest. What, what was the funeral and burial like? Well, we to honor our son, we, we had a funeral mass at St. Gilbert Chapel, and we were joined by our family and friends. And I had the opportunity to carry the, the tiny casket to the front of the chapel. And I just, you know, I'm his dad. That, that was, it was my job to do that. Yeah. Then we uh, had a burial up in Wisconsin where Joan's uh, parents will be buried someday. And... We laid him to rest up there with love and, and respect. And, you know, it was it was so beautiful because to finish off the burial service, we had a huge bouquet of helium balloons. And our three boys and Paul and I, we had all wrote letters to John Paul. Mm. We wanted to tell him how much we loved him. So but I also wanted to tell him how much he changed us and what his little short life meant to us. Because yeah. we would never be the same. None of us were ever going to be the same. Yeah. So we took those notes and we attached them to the balloons. And our boys had so much fun because they just ran and let them all go. And then they watched as all these balloons just floated up to heaven. And we told them that their little brother was waiting there to catch them and to read our notes. Mm, that's yeah, so, and so sweet. we made it a family tradition to return each year um, on his birthday with more balloons and letters. And, and I told Joan, you know, I'll look forward to the day I die because I imagine that first person I'll meet is John Paul and he'll be standing there holding all the balloons and the letters that we sent him over the years. <laughs> that is such a beautiful image, Paul. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I want to go back to, you know, even what Joan said that, you know, he changed you. Of course he changed you, right? He entered your life in this mighty way and, and you could never be the same. Can never be the same. And that's how God works. 
Yes. In the moment, it's a difficult situation, but you're being just transformed. Yeah. Nobody can go through an experience like this and not be transformed. Not at all. Well, tell a little bit about how it was going home. You know, you had to recover from a surgery. I did, you know, and so I was recovering from the C-section. And on top of going through an enormous amount of grief, this was a situation I couldn't really share with anybody else who who else had experienced this kind of a situation. And I had my three boys to take care of. But you would not believe the outpouring of support we received. People brought over meals. They offered to watch my kids. So many people sent cards, little gifts to memorialize our son. Our little boy, he brought so many people to holiness as they minister exactly. to us. It was so beautiful. It was amazing. Yeah. And, sure. it, and, and it was a witness to them, too, again, about the value of this beautiful life. As short as it was, they honored him by honoring you guys and supporting you guys. That so they that's did. So neat. Okay, so there's another glory story to share about John Paul, isn't there? Yes, and because John Paul, so he was born alive, so he lived for 35 minutes. That means that he received both a birth certificate and a death certificate. And Paul's company had life insurance policies that were automatic for the children of their employees. And as you can imagine, our medical bills and some of our burial expenses were pretty large. So that insurance was a welcome surprise. We hadn't thought of it, but God did. So if John Paul had been stillborn, we would not have received that insurance policy. So those 35 minutes made the difference. But after paying our bills, we still had some money left over. And Paul and I decided that we wanted to donate that money to some type of charity in honor of John Paul. So the holidays rolled around and my brother and my his wife shared with us that they wanted to adopt a 12 year old girl from an orphanage in India. They had seen her picture from a friend that was passing it around, and they were looking for a forever home for this girl. And my my brother and his wife just felt called to bring her into their home. So they were concerned about some of the finances around the adoption. So right then and there in my heart, I knew that I wanted to give them the money, but I wasn't sure what Paul would think about that. You know, trying to give insurance money to a fa- or give money to a family member, you know, that's that's not always easy. So as soon as we got in the car that night after leaving and within 2 minutes, Paul turned to me and said, "I think we we're supposed to give the money to Jim and Melinda for the adoption." I love that. And to me again, that's the Holy Spirit at work uniting the two of you in that moment. For sure. For sure. And we decided to tell them in kind of a fun and a unique way. So we sent them a letter. We we kind of had it written from John Paul from heaven. And in it, we expressed that he wanted to give them some of the insurance money to help bring his cousin home. And didn't you have it signed by John Paul? We did. Yeah, we did. That was so precious. And then how did your sister-in-law respond? Well, my sister-in-law called us a few days later. And she was very emotional. And so she, you know, she was she was very emotional and she was very excited that we, we had done this for her. And she said that they had a deadline for the fees that were just coming up in just a few days and they weren't quite sure how they were going to pay all that. But our check came just in time and it was for the exact amount that was due. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, for sure. And so about a year later, they brought home our niece Pratima. And I know that John Paul was dancing in heaven that day. How, how old home. is Pratima now? Uh, she is in her 20s and she just graduated college. Praise God. Yeah. How beautiful. Well, most of our listeners are probably filled with awe at hearing all of the graces you and Paul received through John Paul's life and death, but God still wasn't finished. Can you share the next part of the journey uh, that you had uh, another blessing about five years later? So on the fifth anniversary of John Paul's death, I was on a pilgrimage to Medjugorje with my parents, which was just a really wonderful experience. But I was feeling a little sad because Paul and the boys were home doing what we traditionally would do on his birthday. But I was was asked to share my witness with the pilgrimage group 
and it, and it did fall right on his birthday. And after I had shared my story, people were very moved by hearing it. I had a woman who came up to me and shared with me that she used to work at the Vatican with Pope John Paul II. How sweet. It was, it was neat, yeah. And she shared with me that while I was talking and sharing my story, she had just strongly felt God's presence and that God had put some words on her heart to share with me. And so she told me that God had shared with her that because of my faithfulness and the suffering that John Paul and I endured, that reparations were being made for a thousand mothers who had chosen abortion and for those thousand babies who were the victims of those abortions. And she went on to tell me that every time I tell John Paul's story, God would, would allow more reparations to be made. Wow, that's powerful. I know, that is really a powerful thing to hear, as you can imagine. And she went on to tell me that the doors were closing on the difficult times in my life and that the doors were opening to joy. And, you know, after hearing this, I, I just knelt down to the ground in tears. And I was really overwhelmed by her words, but most of all, I was deeply humbled yeah. by those words and by God's mercy. And this part I need to share because... When I heard those words, I knew that it was really only by the very graces of God that I had made the decision to keep my baby. Yes. I could very easily have gone the other way. And so through my suffering, God had allowed mercy for those women because I, I could have easily have been one of them, Letty. Yes, I know. You know, and I just I just want everyone to know that God's love and mercy was there for me. And, and it's there for any mother who may need it. Yeah. And I just want to insert here that, again, you know, the, the topic of abortion is obviously very divisive. Right. And a lot of people get very defensive. But we're here sharing a story not to be critical of people who have made that choice, but to show the beauty of choosing life and how God has blessed this couple in that choice. And we're not here to judge, but we're here to call people to the beauty of life. That is definitely what we're emphasizing sure. with this show. So to me, that was God's great mercy pouring out and, and just helping our listeners uh, who face similar issues. You know, a lot of women have difficulties in their pregnancy to hopefully to have courage as you had courage, you know, both of you to carry, to carry the cross and to trust in the Lord. Right. And, you know, protecting my son and honoring his life was beautiful. It was it was very profound and it was very healing. Yeah. You know, those who choose abortion, they're not being spared from grief or suffering. They're already suffering. They're already grieving. But choosing abortion isn't going to take any of that suffering away. Nope. It's only adding to the grief long term. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I kind of we're getting to the end of the show, but I, I, I'd like it if you guys would kind of just share with the listeners why you decided to come on the air and share your story. Well, John told me to, so of course I had to <laughs> that's a good answer, but Paul. Besides that, no, I mean we're just we're just normal people. We have right. our we have our problems just like everybody else, and you know, do our best to raise our kids and and do a, a, a decent job. And we struggle every day, just like you know, I'm sure people that are listening on our path to trying to be better or holier people. But I think just by letting God into our difficult situation and saying yes to life, God honored that and turn what could have been really a situation filled with hurt and regrets into a more of a miraculous journey for sure that deepened our faith and it, it changes forever and we have no regrets about our decision Clearly. of course it was hard it had its pain but yeah. it was the right thing to do and god revealed you know beautiful moments and and signs to us for sure yeah and i think you know if paul and i had chosen to reject this experience that god sent us we really would have missed all the beauty and the peace and the miraculous that god had in store for us you know all those around us they would have missed that opportunity for growth and holiness and virtue you know through ministering to us 
But I think most of all, what we would have done is we would have taken away the mission and God's will for John Paul's life. Every single person has that God-given mission. And, you know, that starts at conception. Yes. And this includes children who may not make it to birth or those that die shortly after birth or someone who's born with a disability. They, too, have that same opportunity to change people in very dramatic ways. Yeah. You know, they help us step up, right, Letty? They help they us too. to become more people that are just sacrificial, filled with love. That's what Jesus called us to. Yeah. And I love this quote. And it, the quote is that a society will be judged on the basis of how it treats its weakest members. And that quote was by Pope John Paul II. Yeah. So, you know, and I just want to end with this. You know, it would be wrong to say that that this is the end of our story because it's not for Paul and I. This was really just the beginning. We had such tremendous grace in this experience that just poured out into our lives. And, you know, Paul and I, we just began that slow process of changing from a self-centered life to one that was God-centered. And as Paul said, you know, we're not perfect. I'm here to tell you I'm not perfect. <laughs> I struggle every day in my walk, you know, my faith walk to try to become holy. But I just keep moving forward and I keep on that faith journey and I show up every day for whatever God is calling yep. me to. So I think we recognized our need to surrender a lot of these difficult things that are difficult in our lives to God and let him work through them. Yeah. You know, we're not immune to more suffering. Nobody is. Nope. We have a type 1 diabetic son. We have another that's had multiple surgeries, yet another with ADHD and other things going on. You know, these are difficult things, but through surrender and trust in God, he's kind of just allowed us to grow and to bear a lot of fruits yep. through all of this, all of these difficulties. You know, but, uh, you know, Paul and I, we've, we've changed and we've started changing our lives. We host a prayer and a Bible study and a fellowship in our home, which has helped lead others to a more Christ-centered life. And I think the most beautiful thing and the biggest fruit is just our family priorities have changed. Yeah. And our children see us making God first. But one of the most beautiful fruits of all, I think, has really been Paul's music. So Paul began playing for his Sunday Night Teen Masses over 10 years ago. He's always been a musician and a songwriter. But after he started playing for the Mass and the Christian music just began pouring out of Paul. Mm -hmm. So his music, you know, his music is very inspiring. And some nights he's even woken out of sleep with lyrics for a melody and a song that's been put on his heart. So he quickly jots it down. And I thought it would be really fitting to honor our son and all those other babies and parents who've walked our same journey by having Paul share his talent and play a song for us. I love that. I love that idea. And I just, again, want to thank both of you um, for for coming on and sharing your story. And Paul, you know, can you share a little bit about this song and how it came to you? Well, yeah, I mean, I love writing music, uh, but this particular song just woke me up, uh, dreamt up the melody, or I shouldn't say I dreamt it up. God put it on my heart. Amen. And I got up out of bed because I didn't want to forget it, and I went down to my the piano, and it just kind of flowed out of me really, really quickly. And it's, it's called Just One Hallelujah, and it, it's not a song about pro-life per se. It's just seeing Joan go through that experience and just thinking about mothers that you just experience the difficulties of raising children and just getting being in the brunt of situations you know everyone kind of needs a hallelujah and joan definitely needed one so uh you know it's just a way to honor our son and to honor joan and, and her trials and tribulations and hopefully i think other people can relate to it in their difficult moments in raising kids and going through the struggles so i hope the listeners enjoy it and and thank you for the opportunity to, to share it absolutely
more brokenness at home Fall to your knees and shout out God I'm so
Thank you all for joining us for this beautiful witness uh, by Joan and Paul Spiris about the short but precious life of their son, John Paul. Thank you for joining us for our show, Fullness of Life, on 88.5 FM WSFI Catholic Radio. This is your host, Letty Medina. Please join us next month on the first Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. and the first Monday of the month at 10 p.m. to listen to our next show. If you'd like to reach me, please write to me at Letty M, L-E-T-T-Y-M, at WSFIRadio.org. Until we meet again, I'm wishing you all His fullness of life. Bye.